You're listening to The Itch. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week, we're scratching the itch to really zero in on a very important month and a half or so in rock music history. And not only that, we're scratching the itch to do that with a guest. So we have with us Russ from the Infectious Groove, who has been kind enough to donate some time with us tonight to talk about this. So welcome, Russ, and thank you. Hey man, thanks for having me. It's uh it's not me doing you a favor. It's like someone let me out of the cage to talk about 91 again. You know, like more, I'll tell you who you're doing a favor to. You're doing a favor to my wife who's going to have me talk to you guys about 91 again instead of her. Yes. You know. I understand how that goes. Uh, yes, honey, I know. I know REM put out that great record that year and then <laughs> later that year, yeah, I know. I know. So, yeah, we are actually glad because I was actually seven years old during this year. So, yeah, uh, same here. I didn't really quite understand the impact of this year until obviously much later in life. For sure. Yeah, I need I need music historians, people who are really just immersed in music across the board. And that's why people like Russ, people like Brian from Playlist Wars we have on because they just you guys just live all this stuff from all eras. Like Mm -hmm. you've done your homework going backwards and everything. And so, well, when what Russ is referring to about talking about 91 some more is the fact that uh, the Infectious Group podcast actually just a number of weeks ago, I don't know, a month or so ago, released a two-part series on the year of 1991 in music, not just in rock, which is our specialty, but music in general and how important it was and a game changer in a lot of ways. And so we were talking amongst ourselves about episodes related to albums coming out that year, and we ended up just deciding hey, let's kind of be part three of their conversation in a sense. We're just zooming in on a very specific part of of the whole year that they were discussing. Yeah, which is great for me because that part of that year, if you're going to talk about one of the most important sections of music in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, those two months in that one year are just, there's so much that wouldn't have happened music-wise since then without that, those two months. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're, we want to kind of explore a little bit here. So we're talking about August and September of 91, in which there were a good dozen or more just in the rock realm, very notable albums by artists that would have very big futures. And we're going to talk only about a handful <laughs> of them. <laughs> but it kind of starts with Metallica's Black, which was released on August 12th of that year. And I know Dan has many thoughts about that. He has shared some thoughts about Black in the past. And and the range that we're going to talk about ends on September 24th with, uh, among others, the release of Nirvana's Nevermind, with a lot of, of very important things in between as well. So, yeah, you know, it's funny uh, you mentioned the Black album, because if you are a fan of it, well, this album where a whole bunch of bands remix their songs or redo their songs, uh, and, you know, every song is on there like, five times at least because there's like 51 <laughs> tracks and it's just the black album being covered so yeah the blacklist is out and it's wild <laughs> yeah yeah being a big vinyl collector i uh, i always look ahead to see what's coming out on vinyl the next friday because vinyl is because the pressing plants are backed up vinyl is like very behind right now so when something comes out digital i always have to wait for the vinyl to come right and I didn't think about how big this box set is of the Metallica and I saw it on the coming soon list and it was like uh Metallica <laughs> seven, seven LP set. And I was like, seven. what? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. like, I have to get a whole nother crate just for the blacklist album. Yeah. To- <laughs> yeah. Yep. So 
at least for me on the black the black album if you, if you don't mind there's just one thing for me i think it's the most divisive album of everyone that we're going to discuss i mean there's <laughs> people people either love or hate this album it's the it's the divider line it's the it's the equator between old metallica and new metallica like if anybody refers to quote new metallica they're always they always mean the black album forward if they yep. refer to old metallica they always mean uh justice and before and I don't think there's a more divisive album that year, at least where people, I mean, almost everything else that year, you could say, Oh, well, I'm not a fan of that genre. So I don't like that or whatever. But with the black album, as soon as it comes up, there's always a hefty debate about the record. Always. Yeah. yeah you either became a fan or you stopped becoming a fan for a lot of people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny that I, okay. Well, it's actually funny that about that because, you know, that's when, in my opinion, because I'm a huge Metallica fan, but like that's when my opinion, new Metallica starts is load because like that's truly when they they were quote yeah. unquote sold out. Like the Black Album, it was definitely a different sound for Metallica compared to like, Justice for All and Master of Puppets. Yeah, there's no doubt that it was a different sound, but it it wasn't like full on. I don't know, sold out like it was, sure. you know, it wasn't it was it was definitely, you know, like you said, debatable uh, mm-hmm. on whether or not it's old school or new school. But like, I don't know, for me, it was always it was a great rock album. Everybody still appreciated it for being a rock album. It might not have been a metal album like like most people thought of Metallica. And I guess that's where we're getting at right here is that's the debate. Yeah, see, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Here's my thing. I like my artists to evolve. I yeah. love when artists yeah. evolve and change. Right. In my opinion, Metallica just had just finished going on the greatest run in the history of metal, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. nobody is ever going to make a, a string of. So what were they supposed to do after Justice? Just right. try and make that album again? Yeah. You know, like I, anybody who's ever told me how bad, you know, my my brother and I just had an argument less than two weeks ago <laughs> where he told me Death Magnetic's the album they should have put out after the Black Album. Oh, wow. No, no, <laughs> I, no, because that's that would be them. To me, Death Magnetic sounds like Metallica sat down and was like, I don't know, let's do justice again. You know, and that, I didn't I don't want I, I, did, yeah. I didn't want them to do that in 1991 and I don't want them to do it now, you know. <laughs> And that's tough. Like, I think if you look at a band like that, like you're like you're saying, you, you got to keep evolving. Eventually, in many bands cases, if you do last 20, 30 years or whatever, you come a point where you're going to be like, all right, we're going back to our roots or whatever. That's a hard one to pull off. A lot of bands like you're not the same people. You're not the same musicians that you were in those days. And so if you try to recreate what you were doing back then, it's going to be real hit or miss. And I think Metallica learned that. I think on their post-Death Magnetic albums, they managed to find, I guess it you might be able to argue a better balance of their sounds. You guys would correct me on that. You guys listen to Metallica more than I do. So, <laughs> well, you hit the head on the nail when you said the change, a lot of people forget that this was the second album that featured Jason Newstead. And the first album, they pretty mm-hmm. much had already kind of written without him that he had hardly any input on justice for all whatsoever. And so a lot of people forget that this was a little bit more influenced by Jason Newstead. And you can hear that on, on like my friend of misery, like his baselines were awesome. And, and they, you know, they're definitely not Cliff Burton, but they were still very influential, especially for a metal band at the time yeah. to have a basis that could, you know, be featured in a song like My Friend of Misery. Yep. Yeah. And then you could even say now with uh, Rob Tagio having replaced Newstead that, you know, they've grown into yeah. him yeah. as well. 
like you were saying about how maybe they didn't get it right on death magnetic that's the, that's the main i love that album you, you can't be dissing I that album, no man. i don't i don't i don't hate it but it to me to me it does sound like they sat down and we're like well let's just make justice again you know where i, I to me hardwire sounds more organic you know oh, see, I, uh, hmm. okay they had, they had to be, get the same anger taste out of their mouths yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the what? I don't, I don't. <laughs> no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> See, I would be very interested. Again, we were we were all single digits of age. The itch was whenever this came out, and so it wasn't like we were really experiencing it in real time. So, something that I'm curious about, like, I get if you're a fan of something and that sound and a band changed in a direction that throws you off, or that might sadden you or frustrate you. At the same time, when you listen to an album like Black, I feel like, you know, looking at it now, I don't know how you deny the quality of that album, even if it isn't what you were expecting. Like, how do you hear Enter Sandman and, yeah. you know, The Unforgiven, Sad But True and stuff, even if you're like, I really like my thrash metal, but like, maybe now I could find thrash metal somewhere else and Metallica <laughs> can be this and I can have both and it's awesome. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and think of how many artists this album influenced like i can think well obviously uh, we know that it influenced kid rock you know because he covered it basically <laughs> yeah he right did the song tried i to wish you'd quit tone. sneaking kid rock references into these episodes <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's always on how much he sucks come on that's, that's <laughs> he tried to steal somebody else's song and sucked at it anyway uh but no like and, and obviously with the album blacklist that's a whole album of people that were hugely influenced by this album you know bands like the who volby like they're they're children of metallica so to speak yeah i'm excited that no one brought up kid rock in reference to detroit because every time i tell someone i'm from detroit they go <laughs> oh you must love kid rock and i'm no. always like don't put that on me ricky bobby how about motown uh, you know yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about Jack White? You know, you know what's funny is right, like, yeah. my first thought. See, I, I'm fat, I guess. My first thought was, oh, you probably like Detroit style pizza. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing until like six months ago. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't know it was a thing until a couple months ago, and I saw it, and I was like, that. And, and don't get me wrong, St. Louis pizza is pretty dicey itself, <laughs> but Detroit pizza. Oh my, that was. I, no, I'm not a. I'm not a fan. We are, we are <laughs> all like a train wreck. Ins- we're all yeah. in different cities that have their own pizza. I think yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, I'm I'm yeah. St. right now, if you didn't notice by my my backdrop, by, oh, by I did your, not realize uh, by the Taliban setting. The t- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so back to the topic. And then, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, well, we'll cut all this part and come back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a shortcut. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the blacklist again because I mean, and even what you're mentioning. There's so many artists that are in the rock realm. Royal Blood's on there. Weezer's on there. A number mm-hmm. of others. But then you have artists that are from all over the place that clearly adore Metallica. Jason Isbell on the 400 unit, who Daisy Dead talked about in a couple weeks ago in our episode. The Mexican Institute of Sound is on there. The Neptunes. Phoebe Bridges. There are so many artists from all over the musical spectrum. Uh, Chris Stapleton. Darius Rucker, you know, wow. yep. yeah, these guys are all make appearances on that. And so like this album, I, you have to imagine without this album, a decent, pretty good chunk, maybe Volbeat and a couple exceptions, but a pretty good chunk of those artists probably don't care about Metallica nearly as much. I can't, I mean, I, I could be, this could be me 
misfiring entirely. But I can't imagine all those artists would be hardcore into thrash metal if that's where Metallica <laughs> remained forever and ever without yeah. evolving, as as Druss said. So, I, I know that the next big album we're probably going to talk about is Ten by Pearl Jam that came mm-hmm. out maybe like a week or two later. But yep. I, I just want to slip this in there that I, we cannot let go that uh, the great album Pocket Full of Kryptonite by the Spend Doctors came out. <laughs> That's, a fantastic that. album. That's a fantastic. It, album. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not making light of it. It's it, no, Spend Doctors. It was a great fucking album. Hell and like, yeah, it is. I I just. It's a great rock album. It was a great alternative album. Uh, I, I really miss the Spin Doctors. I wish they kind of would have kept going, but they just, I don't know. They just, they're really out there. Take off. I saw them day. at a fair. I saw them at a fair like six years ago. I know. Yeah. They're yeah. Out yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, yeah. There. We, we played know, them on, on, on our college radio station in, in 2004, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, you know, that record is so much better than their reputation is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They are known as the two princes guys. Right. Yes. And, right. Not, and that's not even that a bad song. That's just the one that's overplayed. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like B52s yeah. and, uh, and Love Shack. Love Shack. Yeah great song but the band is better than that song right yeah if right. you just drop the needle on pocket full of kryptonite right from the first 30 seconds you'd be like oh, you could play that for anybody now and they'd go who the hell is this band these guys kick ass you'd be like, it's the two princes guys <laughs> <laughs> from 30 years ago it's still awesome yeah you should have listened to this whole album yeah <laughs> no i'm glad that you brought that up up since we're doing a little scoot through the passing of time here that's a good point. You Along the way from Metallica to our next kind of focus here, which was Pearl Jam's 10, you had the Spin Doctors. Blur came out with Leisure. You had Toad the Wet Sprocket mixed in there. Joan um, Jett and the Blackhearts. Joan Jett. Um, Mr. Bungle, who was a very influential artist on a lot of, of what the itch listens to. And Bob Steger. Cypress Hill. Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of things. And for a lot of these artists, it was their debut or very early on. So it was either like where they started to break into the mainstream or right before, but either way, like looking back in retrospect, there's just, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that brings us up to August 27th, a couple weeks later. And we have Pearl Jam with their debut 10, which is a ridiculously good debut album. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just, the whole thing is just blistering. You know, yes. and mm-hmm. I mean, it, if just for every single thing you can do right on a debut record is done right on that album. It's just, it's, it, it's insane. Uh, it's one of the best side twos I've ever heard in my life. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're into vinyl, it's it, the, the side two is brilliant on that album. Um, I, it's hard to come out of the gate stronger than Pearl Jam well, did on that album. Yeah. And that's what's that's how how great this album is. You talk you mentioned you just said side two is fantastic. Side one is where all the singles are, unless yeah. I don't know where I don't know where the album breaks if it's at Jeremy or not. Jeremy. But yeah. uh, okay. So that you got, you know, even flow and alive black, all that stuff. Those are fantastic. There's so you're like, oh, this album might be top heavy. No, not at all. It's mm-hmm. actually just fantastic start to finish. <laughs> and um, for me personally, <laughs> one of my personal memories of that record is, and I have this with another album we're going to talk about too, but when the first time I heard that album, the song that I was like, this is one of the greatest songs I've heard in 10 years. I wanted so badly to be a single. And it, I think it was either the last or the second to last single was black. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the, every time they released a single, the world would go nuts about that single and like they'd sell, you know, they'd move another, you know, mm-hmm. 5 million units or whatever. And the whole time I kept being like, you have got to release black off of this album. Damn it. You know, mm-hmm. and then it finally <laughs> became a single. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even sure it was an official one. Like no. I'm looking them up right now. It and didn't I think have that a video just, or anything, but it was heavily yeah. played on uh, rock radio. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of those ones that just picked up on its own merit. Like yeah, yeah. stations sometimes just play stuff because they like it occasionally. So yep. sorry. Go on, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> you had something. Well, I was going to say, and then Aaron Lewis came along and screwed it all up. Oh, <laughs> why do you guys keep trying to associate these artists with worse artists? <laughs> anyway, no, but seriously, uh, the one the one track that cracks me up on this album is the opening track, Once, because I always forget how that opens every time. Because you listen to it on the album and you're like, wait a minute, is this Genesis? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> then I don't know. I think it's Stone Gossard, whoever. Somebody just flips their guitar on and goes, oh, no, this is not Genesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Stone's like, this is all me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but like, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about here is somewhere within the realm of what became called grunge. You know, yeah. we got Pearl Jam here. We got Nirvana and some other stuff coming up. But it's not I, I just think that the passing of time and all of that is interesting. There were bands that existed like Mud Honey and some others that were doing this style before it truly exploded into the mainstream. Even Soundgarden, who we'll talk about in a minute, was around doing stuff in the late 80s before Bad Motorfinger, um, which is the 91 album we'll be getting to. And so like this sound had been sort of brewing. And then right here, again, in this month span, three i'm not gonna say the three because there's debate in there but yeah. certainly never mind and 10 i would say like the defining albums of that sound mm -hmm. uh and and different sounding albums and bands that obviously went on to have very different futures which is actually something i kind of be interested in hearing you guys take on pearl jam like this was the start of something special for this band because of all the artists on this list that i'm looking at i would argue that they are maybe the most consistent success and been regular like some of these artists you know they either burned out or they they kind of peaked somewhere well, in there some of them are, have just become much more haphazard with or sorry much more sporadic with their releases pearl jam could never release another new album but they could you know they could be a touring band forever and make you know bazillions of dollars <laughs> yeah and and not to get a little bit too off topic here but you made a comment once in one of our text uh, chats that it's it's amazing that you know Pearl Jam's the last band left standing and they're one of their most well known songs is Alive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just interesting that you know the the other lead singers are no longer with us and they are the only band from the the big four or whatever of grunge that or, mm. that did not you know have a singer pass which is is bizarre mm -hmm. but um well, it's just it's just like you said, the passing of time and and how everything works itself out is is just kind of interesting when you break it yeah. down. Well, and I think that would also explain why Pearl Jam's had the most sustained mm -hmm. success too, because of what you just said. It's That's pretty true. hard to recover from losing your lead singer, right? Right. Whether it be a drug binge or just going off to do another band or whatever. I mean, most of the ones that we're talking about of the big four. You know, they they were they were not there. <laughs> Pearl Jam, right. they they right. were always together. Yeah. And I also don't want to lump them into grunge as a permanent thing. It's no. very well documented that their sound has gone in a number of different directions since then and become its own thing. Mm -hmm. But in this moment in time of ninety one where you were dealing with 
I don't know. We, we've sort of touched on it before to overgeneralize the transition. We'll call it the transition from hair metal into yeah. uh, a, a much more self-serious form of hard rock music. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a lot of friends around that time that anything that got labeled grunge, which I couldn't agree more that labeling Pearl Jam 10 a grunge record is is so mislabeled like yeah you know and but if anybody introduced it on radio as grunge or if mtv called it grunge i had a group of friends who were like nope grunge is not for me and i kept telling them this is a blues rock album Mm -hmm. 10 is there is nothing outside of the doc martens and the flannel on the cover there is nothing (laughs) grunge about this record you know and it took years for it to get a lot of friends from that era to give that album a chance because they were just like, Nope, Nope, Nope. That's grunge. And I was like, well, why don't you just listen for yourself instead of like what the DJ said or what they called it on MTV. Did you try to ease them into that style by giving them some early, early Alice in Chains? Because they, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) they were very much Alice in Chains, like was kind of the former and sort of transitioned into the latter among other kind of sounds. For sure. (laughs) But what, what helped with a lot of them was um, every single one of their favorite bands and mine too, uh, whether it's Warrant or Skids or well, Cinderella Mm -hmm. didn't do it, but almost every one of those bands started to lean into that sound as well more into yeah. a grunge sound right so i had a friend of mine and i love these two albums but uh the the third and fourth uh warrant albums doggy dog and ultraphobic a friend of mine came to me and was like oh man have you heard the sound warrants doing now it's awesome and i was like but you won't listen to 10 like, <laughs> this is way further away than what than what 10 is you know and so i was able to like when when some of their favorite bands did that i was able to work it into like no i think you are gonna like this music you're just not giving it a chance you know yeah yeah and that's this is probably a great place to transition into the next album on our list. We, we bump forward another couple weeks, September 17th, and we have a, a band that I know means a lot to Russ here. I've, I've heard actually two different spiels about this uh, artist and this pair of albums recently, because he not only did the 91 episodes, but on the Infectious Groove YouTube channel, he just did a vinyl about this. And that is a band that represented the peak of 80s rock in Guns N' Roses. And transitioning here into the early 90s with volumes one and two of Use Your Illusion. I think these records are incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, And, you know, they're not even in the discussion for like my favorite records of all time by you know, some artists. But for the for the time that they came out, the ambition involved, they are just stunning. Just so I think. I think they get mislabeled all the time. People always say, oh, they're overblown. Oh, they way overdid it. And sure, if you're going to talk about, you know, having a music video where you uh, have the lead singer jumping off an oil tanker and swimming with dolphins and all that, (laughs) you know, like, yep, you got me. That's overblown, you know. But if you take just the music that's on the records, I, I think it's incredibly ambitious what they pulled off. And if actually, I literally just thought of this because uh, before we recorded, you said like, if we want to share personal stories and stuff, yeah, uh, I'll give you guys an exclusive on this one. I, I didn't even talk about this on our 91 episodes and I didn't mention it in the video. So, <laughs> all right. Okay. So, you know, when you're a little kid and sometimes the, uh, the parental advisory sticker is the death knell of everything. Like you got to figure out how you're going to yeah. get these albums. Okay. So the day that use your illusion came out, my mom drove me to sound warehouse and my, I'm, I'm beyond stoked to get these this music okay <laughs> and uh so we get to the thing and there's a huge standee and both the illusions are there and i grab both of them when we go up to the register and my mom notices the uh mm-hmm. uh the parental advisory 
Now, one thing about my mom is for whatever reason, she loathed the F word. Like, I, you know, she, she would use every other swear word in the, in the English language constantly, but that one word. So we're standing at the register and uh, the registers were like up a little bit higher. Right. So they're like, you put the probably, yeah. I don't know, I was a little kid. So they were probably like six feet up or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I put the CDs on there and my mom says to the guy at the register, you know, Hey, what, what exactly does the parental advisory mean? Like they don't say the F word on here, do they? Oh. And, uh, and the guy's looking over the shoulder at my mom and uh, I know the audience won't hear this, but you guys will see this. I'm going, <laughs> You know, just please, no, yeah, please, no, please. So the guy says, well, he goes, I'm not really into GNR, but you know, I don't think they say the F word. I don't know. I heard their first album and, and this is true. He said, I heard their first album and they didn't say it on the first album, which they only say it like the one time. So, you know, he's yeah. within the realm of having yeah. not exactly lied to my mom. Yeah. So, so I th- this is coming by the way, to a very huge mistake on my part. And, uh, and, 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 and oh, an abrupt, I see what's coming here. Go and, on. A, and an abrupt, sad uh, ending to the story. Uh, so I, so I buy the CDs and I get in the car. Now, if you know, use your illusion one and two, use your illusion two starts with civil war which is the only song that i had heard off of use your illusion because it was in they played it way more on detroit radio than they did you can be mine okay so i get in the car and i'm dying to hear this new gnr music so i've already heard civil war so i put in use your illusion one and for anybody in the audience who might not be familiar use your illusion one starts with a song called right next door to hell yeah which in the middle of the song axel (laughs) declares F you and holds it for like 30 seconds. My whole body went numb. My mom ejected the CD, declared it to be filth. And I, every word of the story is true. My mom did a U-turn on a busy highway, like race car drivers to like the wheels were squealing. And we went back into sound warehouse. Oh yeah. My mom went back into sound warehouse and explained exactly the filth that they had just uh, sold to her son and got her money back. And so the day these albums were released, I heard approximately one and a half minutes. <laughs> however, long, however long it takes you to get to the FU and, and uh, right next door to hell. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that man. is fantastic. That is, so what's crazy. funny though, is that's probably why I have such an affinity to the records, you know, like when it, you know, because uh, like a week later, I borrowed them from some kid at school and I recorded them to blank cassettes and promptly labeled them like Pebbles and Paul Abdul, you know, so like, you know, my folks <laughs> wouldn't have any idea what they were, you know. Uh, and then from there out, I was just like, I'm going to listen to these on repeat, you know, and show you. <laughs> F you. Yeah. That's awesome. if you, if you, next time, if you get a chance, play that song on streaming or whatever, and just be me in that car when that when he says that. <laughs> oh, we will. I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Now I've got homework from this episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, having said that, I think there. I, I do. The big thing you hear about User Illusion is, oh, it's way overdone. It could have easily been one album, and I I just don't think so. I think there's enough good there that it needs to be as big as it is i would agree with you there i respect ambition now this now guns and roses just in general for me i didn't grow up with them and like my adult life to be honest they've they've been more or less regarded as a joke you know Mm -hmm. they they kind of finished for a while with an album called the spaghetti incident which is a whole thing itself disappeared well not disappeared but were really really 
in and out of the spotlight for years with the ongoing joke of whether Chinese democracy would ever come out. That's the Guns N' Roses I know. But yeah. you guys, I know, I know Russ, and then Dan and Casey, I know you grew up in families that listened to rock a lot more than mine did. I don't know if GNR yeah. was in there or not, and that's what I want to ask you. Let, well, me set up, let me set up, Casey. I got this for you. All I'm saying is <laughs> I didn't recognize until way later truly how huge and how influential and how big of a deal they were really uh, for a number of years before and at this point right here. Yeah. So now go on. Well, see, I, I knew that because my dad is huge into like late 80s, early 90s, and Guns N' Roses is one of his top bands. So I've always had that that influence from him of how important that these albums were to not only music, but just Guns N' Roses in general. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, I didn't know this, actually, apparently. So the album liners notes from exactly. <laughs> Use your illusion two, I believe it was one and oh, two. Yeah. I believe. I yes. know where you're going with this. Hides yep. the message. Fuck you, St. Louis. Yeah, amongst yeah. the thank you notes, what? which is a reference <laughs> to it's the Riverport riot oh. near the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, in July 1991, during Use Your Illusion tour. Casey, mm-hmm. where where were you during that? <laughs> well, I wasn't. I wasn't at the show, but my dad was a huge KC95 fan, and so as they play. Rocket Queen, Axel sees somebody with a camera taking photos. Now, now uh-huh. by today's standards, that would be insane because you would be wanting to punch every single person's <laughs> face because they have a cell phone camera. Yeah. <laughs> so he's trying to confiscate the camera and he's unsuccessful. So he gets it back up on stage, smashes the microphone, and then they leave and it incites a riot. So, yeah. <laughs> and then... They were banned from St. Louis until 2017. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, by the way, side note, that is in both user illusion one and two. Yeah. The yeah. St. Oh, Louis nice. note. Yep. It's, uh, it's in like the thank yous. It's just like, you know, whoever in whatever studio and this mm-hmm. guy and that producer, and then in all caps, <laughs> all caps. On, in, on both of them. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Axel Rose, just to let you know, St. Louis hasn't forgotten and yeah. fuck you, Axel Rose. Well, I, I, have a, I have a side story about that. And I, I wish I wish I knew what the exact date was and, and the picture that this happened. But uh, I don't know if it was Casey or not, but they had a rally that they wanted to take a picture with as many people from St. Louis flipping Axel off. And so here <laughs> I am, a seven-year-old kid on my dad's shoulders. Dad, what's this mean? Well, you get to do it. You get to do it here. So I'm on my dad's shoulders somewhere in the crowd giving Axel the bird. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, here's something you should try and Google around to find it because it is out there. Uh, The the Axl Rose that we have now today is the kinder, gentler uh, elder Axl Rose. And like he can he can now take a joke and and it's cool. There is a picture of Axl like four years ago holding the picture you're talking about. Yeah. Of him being like, oh, boy, I did that. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh, yeah. you said, it's, it's good to see p- artists evolve. And that includes yeah. as human beings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, now, we've talked about that before on our show that we've met a couple of artists uh, that we've felt have evolved from previous times. We've seen them like, you know, 20, 10, 10 to 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, thankfully it happens like <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> right. you know, uh, obviously he had to have learned because he was a nobody for quite some time. Yeah. 
I think that's a, a pretty good spot to transition into the next artist I wanted to, to mention here. And this guy doesn't really fit entirely into the rest of the narrative we're going for here um, because he's been around much longer than any of the others. But the same date as Use Your Illusion came out, Ozzy Osbourne released No More Tears. I, again, as one who is less familiar with Ozzy than probably all three of you, would it be fair to say that that album is, if not his biggest deal as a solo artist, at least right up there in that top level? <laughs> it's my personal favorite Ozzy album. Yeah. By, by a country mile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Blizzard of Oz is probably his biggest album, but this is right up there. Maybe it's it might have sold more records, to be honest. But Well, Blizzard was like his debut right after right yes. after Black Sabbath. Right. And then this is, you know, 10, 11 years later. Yeah, yeah. And and he's picking back up again with I'm looking at it right now. Quadruple platinum um, yeah. and, you know, a couple of, you know, my mom coming home and some of his just most all time biggest tracks. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was this the debut of Zach Wilde? Uh, no, Zach was on the record before with um, uh, No Rest for the Wicked. And then, oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, but this is the debut of that lineup. The album before mm-hmm. he had the same drummer, Randy Castillo and Zach Wilde, but he had Geezer Butler on bass from Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And then this particular record had the same lineup except for uh, Mike Inez who would go on to be an Alice in Chains, mm-hmm. which is crazy. A lot of Alice in Chains fans, I tell them that, you know, hey, do you know your boy's playing on that Ozzy record? They're like, what? You know, like they <laughs> have no idea. But that Ozzy record is just the, the if, if anybody who's not a Motorhead fan has ever wondered about Lemmy's songwriting ability, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and they claim to be a fan of No More Tears, it's always fun to be like, hey, do you know that the guy you're not a fan of wrote like, you know, 70% of that record? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, you talk about it. It's for me, no more tears is a lightning in the bottle. Like you take Lemmy's at the top of his game songwriting wise. Ozzy's got the best overall lineup that he ever played with. Ozzy was in the prime of his uh, life as far as his vocal ability mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, it's, it's just... Yeah everything came together on that one thing. And another thing too, is the imaging of it, which is, we could probably do a whole other episode about like (laughs) what we talked about with Pearl Jam, like the way it was sold as opposed to what's on the record. You know, when we talk about no rest for the wicked or the ultimate sin or bark at the moon, the record label was very much Ozzy's quality of music was very secondary to look, it's the scary guy, you know, like, you know, they like even no rest for the wicked nothing to do with what's on that record is Ozzy sitting on this throne looking like, you know, there's demon kids around him or whatever, you know, <laughs> and no more, no more tears. It's just a very plain Jane package. Like even mm-hmm. the picture of the band is just four dudes standing there. And they're like, the, the music is more important than the imaging on this record. And wow. even the album cover is him with little fairy wings. It right. Looks yeah, like. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's like, I feel like they put that record together and they were like, Hey, you know what? We don't have to be like, look, it's Satan to some, like the quality of music here is going to stand way in front of whatever imaging we put with, you know, that's good because those wings look like they're about the most ineffective wings yeah. that, I've, <laughs> yeah. that I've ever seen in my life. We don't even, need, we don't even need to show his eyes. He'll just cover it with hair. Yeah. Yeah. He's just yep. he's just gonna be pretty right here. That's what we're gonna do with, with Ozzy. 
And, and what what's so crazy about this is like Ozzy's songs are so long, and yet he's still got a ton of radio play. Yeah, you know, like radio hates long songs, and like No More Tears is probably one of his biggest radio songs. It's seven minute and twenty four seconds long. Yeah, and they <laughs> play. They, it's not a song that they typically will cut, like because the entire song is great, and that's that's also a song where like the whole band at the time all kind of collaborated and came together for just kind of a a, a masterpiece almost. Yep. Yeah, that, that that song is massive like what a i mean that is just a killer killer track the actual title track no more tears and that's before yes. you worry about i i would i don't have the charts in front of me but i have to assume like uh my mom coming home road to nowhere were probably bigger hits than that song was yeah but that yeah. song is just massive like what a massive song that is yeah i couldn't agree more uh just speaking of long songs on the radio though uh back to use your illusion november rain is a radio staple to this day and that song is like yeah eight and a half that's which true is cool. it's like the modern yeah. day stairway to heaven you know yeah right yeah not to mention the music video for november rain they spent like over a million dollars because they took a little chapel and flew it on top of a mountain to have their little <laughs> wedding scene <laughs> yeah that's amazing it's, it's one of the most expensive music videos ever made that's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, and uh, to sidebar one more time with my axel apologistism uh i always tell people if you were that guy and people kept telling you yes to ridiculous stuff like that you would be like i kind of do run the world yeah well and also one i keep thing pushing we, it one yeah. thing we didn't bring up that was also one of the longest tours in history as well mm-hmm. it was like it was like over two years sure huh. was yeah, huh. I saw that. Uh, I saw the tour three times, and actually, I <laughs> promise this will uh, this will bridge us off of GNR. The opening acts that I saw for that tour were the Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins, who were supporting Gish at the time, Soundgarden, and uh, Skid Row were the three opening acts I got for that tour. Hmm. Wow! So, so I don't know where Bad Motorfinger falls in this, but maybe we could. <laughs> yeah, that's right, a perfect. Right. I was gonna say that's a perfect transition into the next one to Soundgarden. Yeah, I do want to note along the way you had you know further notable rock records. You had Hole. You had Caius, which um, for anyone who doesn't know, eventually sort of was a precursor to Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, the Pixies with an album Tromplemon came out all within that week as well in the rock world, and then you had bad motor finger mm-hmm. that was another one where i remember because i you know was a little little music nerd i used to always call the venue and go you know hey who's opening tonight and the first time that ever happened to me was i saw def leppard on the hysteria tour and i called i said who's opening tonight and they said queen's and i said did you mean queen you know and they were like no queen's and i was like well who the hell is queen's you know like <laughs> so the same thing happened with soundgarden i was like what is a soundgarden you know because that, that motor finger hadn't dropped yet they weren't in the public eye and then uh we got to see Soundgarden play twice that night because GNR came out like so late that they sent Soundgarden <laughs> back out to play their set again. They and said, so, yeah. <laughs> play their set again. Yeah, yeah. So we're we were like, shot, kill time. <laughs> yeah, we were play like, it wow. again. I remember just sitting there thinking, these poor guys, you know, like I didn't know they'd go on to be legendary or anything. I'm thinking these guys have got to be like, hey, we're here again. Here's the same. And they played exactly the same set list. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're killing time because Axel's being Axel. Yeah, because that's yeah, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about Axel being Axel. Here's uh, most of Bad Motorfinger again with like one song you might know from the album before it. But yeah, that that record for me was one where I was like, again, I it's grunge-ish. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's such a hard rock record. I remember the first yeah. time I heard uh, Outshine, it, that song punches you dead in the face. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, I mean, whew, 
Right. I was just, yeah, I was just listening to to this album earlier this week in preparation. And I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. I don't love the album. It's just, it's not overall my thing, but that beginning rusty cage and then outshine back to back. Like, yeah, that is, that's, that's some good stuff. Yeah. That's how you start a record. <laughs> yeah. That, they, they knew how to start this record. This was their, you know, big breakthrough. They had a couple albums before this. This was the one where they, you know, they went platinum. They started having like big hit singles and then they stayed big for, you know, while super unknown down on the upside after that, they were a big piece of this puzzle too. And what's, I don't know, this is, I'm looking at this and it's very interesting to me because we're talking about how huge this year was in retrospect. Cause you had big albums transitioning, like, you know, Metallica thrash metal, they were the kings of it, but it was still thrash metal. So it wasn't like it was the most mainstream genre of music mm-hmm. until Black comes out. Now Metallica is, you know, on their way to being worldwide stars. You had Pearl Jam exploding onto the scene with one of the best debut albums I've ever heard. You had Guns N' Roses, arguably at the peak of their power. You had Ozzy, who, who I mean, many of the artists, even from his, you know, his original heyday with Black Sabbath, not doing that much at this point into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Ozzy shows up again. He's like, oh, I'm still here and I'm still excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and you got Soundgarden, you know, who's been around for a few years, made a couple albums and finally gets it right, you know, in the in the, the public eye, I guess you say, in, in terms of this mainstream popularity. Just so many bands coming from so many yeah. points in their career and all doing massive things at the same in the same month. I just I don't know. <laughs> It yeah. was just a massive, massive year. And I know we've labored that yeah, point, yeah. but I don't know if you guys are fans of The Office or not, but in the last episode of The Office, there's a character that says, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days when you were mm. in them. And and I'm actually a little bit older than you guys. I think I was, I mean, I was 16 in 91. And uh, here, but here's the thing. I literally knew I was in the good old days when I was in the good old days. Like that year, everything that kept coming out, I was like, this is the greatest year ever. Like I was, you already knew. Yeah, like I I was just like anybody that would listen to me, I would be like, you know, like on the way to the register with you know, no more tears or whatever. Be like, just so this is the greatest year ever. Like you know, like just so you all know. And at that point, like Octoon Baby and everything from the rest of the year hadn't even happened yet. You know, it just was like. Like you guys don't understand. It's like it's reasons why, like why I saw GNR three times or whatever. Like I was literally like, these are the right now is the good old days. Like, I'm going to see this right now. Yeah. See, I'm glad you were able to really milk that and experience it. I was I was not old enough to appreciate or really listen to much of this stuff at that point, and I didn't come from a household that really nurtured that as much. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, and it, but it's also great that it's just there. Like, you know, w- before my time was like the singer-songwriters of late 60s, 70s and all that. I love yeah. that I can go back now and appreciate the living hell out of, uh, what, you know, not singer-songwriter, but what Rod Stewart was doing, like with the faces yeah. or Simon and Garfunkel or like, mm-hmm. it's all still there for you to dig into, you know? Yep. I just was lucky to be like, you know, when people are like, oh, I, I was born at the wrong time. No, I was born at exactly the right time <laughs> <laughs> to take all of this in for me. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm kind of still on this kick here. We talked about, you know, Axel like maturing as a person. Um, and I think that something similar could be said for Ozzy. He remains a very interesting character to this day, <laughs> but nonetheless. And the next band on our list, if we skip forward or sorry. Yeah. Are we skipping forward? Yeah. If we skip yeah, forward yeah, another yeah, week skip forward, yep. the next band on our list, we That's skip forward one works. more week. <laughs> yeah. That is how time works. Good point. <laughs> Good point. So after you were worn out with the last album, <laughs> that's right for one week at your after what was it 38 tracks of user illusion you know one week later here comes the red hot chili peppers with blood sugar sex magic as well that's right i mean we're going to talk about it later but it came you know, two albums came out that same day but we're talking about this one which was 
awesome. Like it's just a great funk rock album. Like I, I this is probably one of my favorite. I, okay, I love Chili Peppers. Like all their there's like a lot of albums I can't really compare, but uh, I just absolutely love the sound of this one. And its influence of this album could be heard for years. And we've even made notions on our show. Like there's you know a couple Power Man songs that sound exactly like this <laughs> album. Uh, and it's just it's just a fantastic album. Everything from like the art cover and everything is just very unique. But you mentioned uh, artists uh, maturing and yeah, I, I can imagine that, you know, as you get older as a what 50 year old, 60 year old, however the hell old they are now, you don't want to wear uh, just a sock. There's that's not, it's <laughs> <laughs> not, not, okay. not as many middle-aged men are being induced in public on, in a, as rock stars anymore let at me, that point. Let me say this. I bet Fleawood. <laughs> that's probably not wrong. You're probably, probably not wrong. Two days. <laughs> that dude still hasn't aged. I mean, they all really have not aged that that uh, that long. They haven't aged nearly long. as badly as Bad, you would think long. people would who did as much drugs as they did. Yeah. I would definitely yeah. say that much. <laughs> so for me, when when I think of of this record, one thing. Now this is a little strange, but for me, I think of uh, focus. I think the sound is a lot more focused than what they had before. Yeah. Now there was a, for lack of a better term, a skater kid that lived across the street for me. Uh, and I mean, you know, one half of his head shaved Mohawk always laying to the side skater mm-hmm. kid. Right. If you look mm-hmm. at, if you Google skater kid in the eighties, this kid's going to come up. Like it's, that's what he looked like. <laughs> the cover of skater die. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he had me listening to REM and chili peppers way before they broke into mainstream like he brought over document he brought over green he brought over uh for chili peppers uplift mofo party plan uh mother's milk and i never disliked anything that i heard from the chili peppers but it seemed like really all over the place Mm -hmm. and i always thought man if this band was just a little more focused you know Mm -hmm. like this and then here comes blood sugar sex magic and they're like here's the focused album you know, like yeah. here's, here's us doing exactly what we do really well, but really focused. Well, and it's it's easy to focus when Rick Rubin's your producer and they do, <laughs> yeah. when they do it inside of a mansion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that certainly helps. I would have to say that on our show alone, we would be far more focused if we had Rick Rubin and a mansion. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Can't even deny that. Let's, let's see what we can do about that. The itch has a lot on our, on our plate of things we're trying to make happen. Um, but I think we should definitely add get rick rubin and a mansion <laughs> to, to put it on your dream board yeah it's on our dream board <laughs> not to mention brendan o'brien the engineering mixer that kind of is with uh, rick rubin as well mm-hmm. he's he's gotten his name all over famous and, and great rock albums mm-hmm. yeah this one so the chili peppers their path to success you know as a in a a little different than some of these other artists that we're talking about. They have been on a slow rise. So since the early eighties, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. In, right now I'm just talking purely record sales. So like, like their debut in 84 sold 300,000 copies in the U S freaky styly almost went silver. Um, Uplift Mofo party plan <laughs> went gold. Uh, Mother's milk, platinum blood sugar, sex magic explodes mm-hmm. seven times platinum. And as as Russ mentioned, it's focused. As Dan mentioned, it's got the production behind it. And really, like a lot of what we're talking about here is we talked about a metal artist. We talked about, you know, the the rise of grunge. We talked about artists from the 70s and 80s um, that have staying power to them. Uh, The Chili Peppers, like this album is, I would say, one of like the defining albums of what you would call like alternative rock Mm -hmm. in the 90s with massive singles that had different sounds to them 
yeah the softer ones you know complimenting kind of back and forth on some of those ones that, that were funkier it was, it was a, a fascinating album in a lot of ways you have breaking the girl which is still one of my favorite chili pepper songs that basically mm-hmm. sounds like stomp you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got that breakdown <laughs> i felt like this was uh john frusciani's like epiphany or i don't like his magnum opus i like that yes that's it thank you masterpiece yes his masterpiece and then like he i don't know if he left i don't know how the terms of how he left the band but like then he left the band and you know they they were they were good but like they just couldn't get back to what they were with him in the band sure i've always liked the lineup with him I, i think that that's their best lineup by far yeah Oh, yeah. And, you know, another thing is you hear a lot of names thrown around when you talk about influential guitarists, you you know, Jimmy Page slash uh, EVH, of course. I know a lot of people who picked up a guitar for the first time because of that record and John Frusciante's work on it. There's a whole bunch of people who never would have touched a guitar without knowing that you could do as many different things with a guitar as Frusciante did on that album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing I just wanted to point out real quick, because you had talked about uh, the steady rise mm-hmm. of a band. And I think that that is something that is so missing from, and by today's music, I mean, at least the last 20 years mm-hmm. is these days, if you come out with something, you've got a hit and then, and then, you know, be consistent immediately. And that's it. We don't have artists anymore who can, who are allowed to hone their craft right. and yeah. then get to a, a, a piece of work like this. Like, uh, we, uh, I, you, you listed them, but like, this is the chili peppers fourth or fifth yeah. studio fifth album. album. Yeah. Okay. You know, the dark side of the moon is pink Floyd's seventh album. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't just get together and sit down and write the dark side of the moon, you know, like they became, <laughs> right. and if you listen to their second record through their sixth, you hear them becoming better at being mm-hmm. a band. And the same thing with the chili peppers is you hear them becoming the band good enough to make blood sugar sex magic. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be Pearl Jam and fire on all cylinders right, <laughs> right. out of the gate. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and also Pearl Jam, you could argue with the mother love bone background and what everybody else was doing. They, they were already the same thing. They were allowed to grow yeah. into the people that were good enough to make that. The Chili Peppers, the, the big thing for me in 91 was because I had that kid across the street who got me into this and whatever. People would always go, oh, have you heard that new band, the Chili Peppers? And I would be like, no, no. <laughs> this is you know, like, you know, I, that was back in my, you know, more pretentious music days where, you know, like, no, I need to, now I need to fully educate you on everything they did before this, you know. <laughs> But Let's I go back do to eighty four right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do distinctly remember people referring to them as a new band, and I was like, "No, yeah. this is that's this is not a new." But boy, are you going to be surprised when you go to the grocery store and try and find that album and find out there's a whole other section of albums for that. <laughs> you know? That's that's true, and yeah. I think we kind of touched on it earlier. This was also where it's not a transition in sound entirely. They still retained a lot of what they had before with the funk, yeah, the, you know, the funk and and. But, you know, when you're putting out Under the Bridge and that kind of thing, when you when you've started incorporating, you know, sort of ballads or whatever you want to call it, acoustic numbers, things that are, you know, incredibly accessible and uh, very different sounding than what you put out before. Like you mentioned them growing into being this band, you know, this set the pace for who they were going to continue to be. I mean, one hot minute, notwithstanding as, as unusual <laughs> as that little album was. But, yeah, you, know, you go over to Californication there's a lot of songs on that that I think you could argue were much more influenced by the under the bridge and breaking the girl side of the chili peppers than the give it away side and that kind of thing. No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
they kind of figured out how to become a pop band in a sense. If, and I'm not yeah. saying that in a derogatory way, no, per se. No. Yeah. But they, they were able to to hone in on their success. Yeah. And yeah, Under the Bridge is like one of the first songs I remember because I guess I was seven, but I remember like I was in the back of somebody's car, like just singing this song. And I knew all <laughs> the lyrics and stuff as a kid. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's it's one of the first songs I actually knew by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Give It Away remains my favorite Chili Peppers song. And I think we mentioned this when we were talking with uh, Lauren on the Beard Owl podcast. But to this day, after, since Weird Al has put out the Bedrock Anthem, every time I hear Under the Bridge at that, like, I don't know, 15 seconds or however long that first, you know, stanza is. You think every single time <laughs> I'm like, you need it needs to turn into Give It Away. And, and yeah. it never does on the Chili Peppers <laughs> album. <laughs> but I always want it to because Weird Al managed to take those two songs and blend them into a, a perfectly cohesive thing just by yeah. using that song as an intro to the other song. <laughs> I kid you not. As soon as you mentioned, give it away. I immediately thought of bedrock anthem. I think that's brilliant. track from Weird Al. I, just... I can sing much more a bedrock anthem than I can give it away. Actually. Oh, for sure. For sure. As Weird that, Al to me is another, uh, another brilliant thing about Weird Al and those little things that he puts in every single uh, parody and original. That's amazing. Is the, the way that the end of give it away is very unique with the uh, now, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. he puts Fred Flintstone going, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> right. oh. to this day kills me. Yeah. The, I, I don't want to sidetrack too far there, but yeah, the, the weird Al, uh, or the Flintstone sound bites put in that song, make it. They're yeah. just, they're fantastic. Brilliant. <laughs> so that same day, uh, one of the biggest albums for Nirvana came out called Nevermind. One of the biggest albums for anybody. Has you, have you guys heard of this album or <laughs> never? I, I've heard some. I've never heard. I've heard a little, a little, little bit of a ruckus over the album cover. Oh. Yeah, especially recently. Yeah, it happens every few years. There's a you ruckus can, over it. You can edit this out of your. You can edit this out of your show if you want. But we are all dumber because that lawsuit exists. <laughs> yeah, this is all accurate. Yeah. Yeah, the kid that basically, uh, you know, w- was celebrated his famousness throughout his life is now suing the band for or I think something. He, didn't he call it child pornography? Yeah, this man it's, who has who has openly and proudly, you know, celebrated the fact that he's the kid from that album before. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy how yeah. he was able to uh, celebrate that every five years when he was being paid, and then all yeah, of a sudden, now, now all of a sudden, yeah. it's an issue. But before I get all of us in trouble for libel, I'll uh, uh, shut up about uh, my opinions <laughs> on that guy. I think um, if we were going to get in trouble for libel, it had, ha- it had happened already. Um, we- <laughs> right yeah, somebody would actually have to listen to us. Dan, Dan, Dan has uh, said some things about a few different people that we we hope they don't hear us. We don't tag them. The I'm, sure that, I'm sure it was deserved. Oh, yeah, I kid you not, not to, you know, this is probably more for us than the listeners, but there have been a few episodes we put out where I'm like, I don't know if I should tag the artist. In this yeah, right. We've, we've yeah. had that discussion as well. Yeah, yeah. We literally have had that discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, just very quickly, one thing I do I want to say about Nevermind uh, before we, because we, there's a lot to unpack here. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I, jo- I jokingly ask if you guys have heard it, but my, <laughs> you know, you know how big of an influence all of our older siblings are on us, and you know, you're always chasing well, being as cool as your uh, your older brothers, or you know, uh, someone someone in the family is always older that you're you know, trying to whatever, yeah. yeah emulate. And uh, I remember very clearly before anybody knew about Nirvana at all, it, of course they had bleach out but my brother uh stopped at a harmony house which was i it was a regional chain up here in michigan and uh, i said oh what are you going in to buy and he very you know as cool as an older brother can say that type of thing he goes oh you've never heard of him you know and oh. i was like oh, oh boy and uh he went in the store got uh never mind he came back out and he had a monster system in his truck and i remember very clearly the first time dave Grohl kicking me in the back of the head uh with his <laughs> subwoofers and just being like <laughs> what is this you know and i had no clue that you know by the end of the year it would be the biggest thing i'm not i'm not saying we were sitting there going this is going to be the biggest thing ever but he knew about it i just remember clearly when that drum kicked in being like oh wow you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally from that day on that's the other album i was telling you guys about earlier from that day on i every time a single came out i was like why not in bloom you know and then (laughs) (laughs) Then it finally got released as a single, and I was overjoyed. But by that time, the unit, the record had sold, you know, hundred yeah, right. copies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Almost and, every and, single song on this album was released as a single at one point. It feels like it. it. Seems I mean, like, yeah. I mean, in Bloom gets played. I, I mean, Teen Spirit to this day on the radio is the biggest one still. But I still, if I stop and listen to a, a rock radio station, in Bloom will still pop up. Uh, Lithium as well. Come as you are. Yeah. yeah. Like they're all still in regular rotation because this this album was that massive. Not to I don't want to focus too much on sales, but again, going back to it, this one went diamond, which almost yeah. no album does. That is over ten million units sold. <laughs> it's insane. It's incredible. Yeah, and, and I would argue deservedly so. And again, Nirvana is a band that I didn't I didn't truly grow up with. I remember in elementary school a friend. This was I think this was honest to goodness my introduction to Nirvana was a friend telling me in school one day randomly something to the effect of not verbatim, but the police think that Kurt Cobain's death might not have been a suicide. That is the first memory that I have about Nirvana is conspiracy theory speculation over how Kurt died. Yeah, yeah. Years and years later, I discovered, I, I really dove, dove into Nevermind and I feel that it lives up to the hype that it got at this time period. I, I think it's a fantastic album. Yeah. start yeah. to finish it's there's so much diversity on the record mm-hmm. too it gets pigeonholed as the face of grunge yeah. and there's so much there are grunge songs on the record sure but there's you know if you let me put it this way you don't have an album with a with songs like polly or something in the way yeah and 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 deny its diversity yeah you know, there's right. a lot more going on that record than just to go oh that, well yeah it's grunge you know there's yeah. a lot more happening there <laughs> And and one other thing I want to mention real quick, and I don't know if you guys know of this cat, but there's a country guy named uh, Sturgill Simpson, who Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a huge fan of him. And he, his third album, uh, he does a cover of In Bloom on it. And if you, before I heard it, if you had told me that a country person covered In Bloom, I would have said to you, please make sure that I never hear that. 
in my life. <laughs> and, it's like the Scissor Sisters version of Comfortably Numb. Oh, my Lord. I'm a fan of that band, and that's the worst cover in the history of the world. <laughs> Thank you. Like, I, lo- I love that band, uh, but holy cow, that's the worst cover in the history of mankind. Like, I would like a word with the Scissor Sisters over that. I would like a, a word with <laughs> I we, we used to work at a radio station before we actually got our radio show was the the college radio station and they played the crap out of that song and we walked into the office one time with the music director and told them they need to stop fucking playing that song i'm not doing a radio check anymore we we would would delete it off the playlist anytime it came up (laughs) it's hard it's hard to make roger waters more of an angry human being but i bet the day that came out he was more of an angry human being you gotta know it so speaking of our radio station, though, it's really funny in our radio show. It's really funny because my my whole tie back, my whole uh, association with Nirvana, like I, I was I was not really a huge fan of Nirvana. I'm, I'm not really into the grunge. Like, it's good. I, I kind of got into it a little bit as teen teen because it's it's depressing music. And most of the teenagers, teenagers are depressed. But um, <laughs> my real association with this is that I remember one time Saturday. Uh, so there's a on the radio station, there's specialty shows on the weekend. One of them is called crossroads. And the guy that does the crossroads, his name is Dave. He's a nice guy. been doing the show for years. And I was doing a, uh, a sports program before his show. And he comes in and we were t- kind of talking. And I, we had talked to previous conversations about how I wanted to do a radio show. And I was playing. Cause like we got to choose. Well, I, well, we probably didn't choose, but we chose the music before the sports program came on. I just threw on whatever songs I wanted to hear because I was sitting there. And I'm not going to listen to crap yeah. music. And so I threw on Come As You Are by Nirvana. And I remember Dave walking in. And he's like, oh, man, did you get your show? <laughs> no, man, I didn't. I did not get my show. <laughs> I but did what not. I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, I yeah. promise you I'm working on it. I will. I, I will try to get it in the next year. That's yeah. the goal. And, and the Six. next time I saw Dave. Yeah, I think it was like six months yeah, later six months we, we had our yeah, show. Yeah. So for context for listeners and for us, the college that we went to, Lindenwood University, their their radio format is what's called AAA, Adult Album Alternative. So I would say it's um, it's usually, I wouldn't entirely go soft rock. It's a little more diverse than that, but it's music that's a little, probably a little too cool for your parents and not quite cool enough for the actual college kids that are there. <laughs> Got it. Um, you know, John Mayer. Uh, sure. Jack Johnson, yeah. Jason, Jason Mraz, Jason Mraz, yeah. those kind of singer songwriter oh, stuff. Robbie awesome. Williams. Yeah. So, and our show, obviously, it was a hard rock show. So, when when Dan's talking about that, what we would often do, or at least what I would do when I did any type of shift, I would sort of from the library customize the we'll call it the itchiest <laughs> selection of music that I could find. So, you know, it still wasn't a perfect fit. But, you know, we, we would we would customize it to get it closer to our taste from the selection that they had available. Dude, so yeah. Come As You Are is probably about as close as you're going to get the yeah, soft, yeah. the soft Nirvana song, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> they would the, get one, so the one that the soccer moms can still tap their foot to and go, I like right. Nirvana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Liking Come As You Are is not a Nirvana fan make, but OK. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I want to point out uh, regarding Nevermind, and a million people have said a million things about this album. And it's probably not adding anything fresh, but it's still fun to talk about. You know, Russ had mentioned uh, 10 having a great side two or side B. I would make the same argument about Nevermind. Again, that's kind of what happens if your album's good start to finish. But the big singles were almost, we're all on the top half of it. And yet in the second half, you know, the, some of the songs that stuck with me the longest, like Drain You, Lounge Act, 
on a plane. Like I think I love that whole block right there. For me, In Bloom was my immediate favorite off the record, but Drain You is my long-term favorite. What a monster jam. Yep. I think I think Drain You, I think Breed is might might be my favorite overall on the album. It's definitely right up there in that top. I just Grohl, going back to Grohl, that the rhythm section on Breed is just amazing. <laughs> I kid you not. I've I've I felt like I've uh talked over some folks on accident here and there during the episode, so I didn't say it, but when you just said Breed, I almost out loud said Grohl. <laughs> like yeah. damn it. He is on fire on that track. That yeah. the drive on that track is amazing, and that yeah, yeah. that blows my mind still to this day. And then obviously, <laughs> you know, in terms of historical context, Nevermind is the definitive album of what you would call grunge and and of Nirvana's career. Is there's only one more proper album after that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And it was it was enormous and uh, really just like the culmination, I think, of a lot of things. And I don't know. Dan has something he wants to say here. I want I want to know what Dan's got to. Do you think 1991 Dave Grohl would have beat Nandi Bushnell? <laughs> would beat Nandi Bushnell? <laughs> I think I think 1991 Dave Grohl would have destroyed her. I think he would have destroyed her. Yeah, yeah. A further context on that: Nandi Bushnell is is like an 11 year old like British girl mm-hmm. who uh, who is adorable and has had an ongoing internet drum off, drum off quote feud with Dave Grohl. Yep. <laughs> Got to be featured in one of their concerts. Yep. Yeah, and it, and it finally came to a head, and so I highly recommend looking her up. But but I totally agree. Ninety one girl would have just wiped the floor with her <laughs> because he was that it intense. Would, yeah, there wouldn't have been no back and forth with that one. Like it just would have been like, yep, done. Yeah, I drop mean, the, he, drop he, the, prob- he probably had a similar personality at that point, and but was less refined. But he also, yeah, he was pounding the drums every night at that point instead of being the singer. Ninety one, you know, ninety one so. girl would have just thrown something at her. You ever do that? You ever, you know, without going off on a tangent, you ever look back at like early Nirvana footage and not earliest, but 91 and just be like, wow, that's Dave Grohl. Like, You're he right, looks right. like a totally yeah. different dude, like yeah. looks completely different guy. You're like, you know, one day you're going to be the coolest uh, gum chewing dad in the world. You know, like <laughs> absolutely <laughs> accurate. Yeah, and like, what's funny about that is like he even grew his hair back out and right. he still doesn't look the same because he's, <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, he's kind of rounder face now. It was so yeah, like yeah. arrow back in the day. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that That's- just happens to the best of us as we age. Don't get me wrong. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the story of Dave Girl in general just just amazes me that yeah. you could have, you know, two two such massive lives in the music world. Right. You know, his life in Nirvana and his life in the Foo Fighters is just it's absurd. Mm-hmm. Um but uh and then you know this is the album that really propelled him into that stratosphere you know nirvana had bleach before which was a notable album but it was nothing compared to this in terms of cultural and like mainstream notoriety yeah yeah i mean the massive sales and all that but i mean everything about this is like a paradigm shift in culture overall yeah Yeah. yeah That's kind of what I was touching on earlier. And yeah, if you want to expand on that, I like, I want to hear that because that's kind of what I was trying to touch on earlier. And and again, it's a slight overgeneralization, but not that much is, you know, the eighties dominated by new wave and by various forms of like glam and and the hard rock was more colorful and kind of goofy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then this stuff hits and, you know, you've, you've got the flannel, you've got the Doc Martens, you've got Pearl Jam boycotting like the press and, and Kurt's very famous 
notoriously complicated relationship with his own fame and mm. and a lot of a lot of angst. It it really is like musically and just personality wise yeah. in, uh, of rock music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the point I was going to make about the cultural difference is when we we touched on earlier, like the Chili Peppers, you know, had a swell. REM had a swelling thing, and those were all very divided fan bases like people mm-hmm. most people listening to rem were not chili peppers fans we're talking pre-91 right uh in b-52s and and mud honey and whomever but nirvana was like the thing that all of those fan bases united kind of mm-hmm. behind yeah. and then once they pushed it to a certain level you know we joke about soccer moms but like uh, a lot of the glam and hair metal fans were starting to go oh, okay well maybe i'll give this a chance and then all the soccer moms were like uh you know like oh that, that song's pretty catchy or whatever so it was <laughs> yeah. like once those once those fan bases kind of came together to push behind one thing yeah. is what like started to blow it up and then it just became it started to touch everybody's lives mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's what I was going to mention, because, you know, glam rock in the 80s was really popular and almost kind of blended with pop music. You know, they were they're as big as some pop artists, uh, you know, like Def Leppard and stuff. And I think that's, you know, so it was almost kind of natural for it to transition to something because, you know, everybody was kind of getting away from the glam rock and uh, everything was changing in, in terms of rock. And I think that this just kind of this whole 44 days that we're talking about in general like help usher the new age of music really away sure. from that, that whole kind of glam rock scene and, and shitty ass music. <laughs> Dan, Dan has beef with yeah. that era of music that we, oh, it was, he was also born at the right time because he missed most of that or at least yeah, well, not, not really. missed, but, but was too young to care during most of that. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine me with long hair? I'll tell you this much. There was a lot of, a lot of talented <laughs> musicians in that era and uh, it was a blast while it was happening. I will tell you that. I will tell you that much. I'm sure. And I mean, you know, there's bands that I, I have respect for. I, I'm not a huge fan of their music, but like, I, it's just, to me, it was just not, not, I don't know. It's just not a good time for rock music. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, Dan is a big proponent of 91 since it did bring in, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and the Metallica sure. that he yeah. that that he grew to love. Um, and the last album of our forty four days was the Soundgarden Bad Motorfingers, kind of the whole ushering the whole age of not only grunge but just the Seattle music scene. Like obviously somebody was just sitting in Seattle, uh, you yeah. know, in the eighties. Like, hey, let's sign all these bands. What was Seattle doing? There was something in the water that was. It was just raining all the time. Something yeah. in the rainwater in Seattle, <laughs> forcing, people, forcing people to just stay inside and play music, right? I mean, I mean, rain isn't the Pacific Northwest like also kind of known for like depression and stuff, like yeah. like and people, suicides. humans, yeah, humans, humans, and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to to make a stretch here to connect these two things of you know cloudy rainy weather and depressed attitudes. Those guys are sitting stuck at home and breaking out their guitars and singing about what was bothering them. Well, and that's the and thing too. This. <laughs> the thing with you know, that's like, my theory with gangster rap really breaking, like, yeah, I don't know, a good three years before '91 is really when that started to break, and a lot of that was very reactionary to all of the pop music that was mm-hmm. in. You know, they were like, "Hey, man, everything is not sunshine and rainbows. Like, here's some of the real world, right?" Yeah. And I feel like grunge was very much same thing as South Central Los Angeles was to right. to rap. Yeah. in seattle they were like yeah okay nothing but a good time and you know girls and beer and stuff but also there's some real world issues and like we're all going to talk about it at once 
you know so i feel like those two movements are obviously completely different topics but it was uh to me it's the same thing as when like sabbath came out of england in the 70s you know they were Mm. like yeah i don't know what world you live in where everything is peace love and rainbows but like uh over here it's all factories and and death and and dismay you know yeah and i i feel like this is another one of those things where like a group a region rose up and was like yeah we have to tell our story now you know right and i think in terms of well I want, I want to make one little side note and then I got sort of a bigger point just to, to touch on Nirvana one more time. They've been in recent years, a few different times where the remaining members have gotten together and done tributes of various types. And, you know, it, it's hit or miss when they try to bring in different singers. Cause obviously nobody can replace Kurt. I will note. And if anybody else has something to add to this, by all means, there are two bands that I feel out there do a pretty darn good version as it were of Nirvana. If you're interested in, so if you ever want, I mean, there are tribute bands that exist as well, but these are not tribute bands, but that they do Nirvana, sometimes even entire live performances as Nirvana. Um, one of them is a band called Deer Tick, uh, which is sort of this like Americana rock band. Uh, and and the singer John McCauley really, I think, channels Kurt pretty darn well. And the other is one of my favorites that we've talked about on the show before, Local H, who for a, a number of different years over the past 20 or so, has has done nirvana that basically have been nirvana for halloween they'll do a halloween show as nirvana entirely playing nirvana songs and i also think local h does a pretty good job of carrying the spirit of nirvana and sort of the attitude of that of that time frame even to this day i think they do it pretty well yeah but um so i just want to point that out there but yeah i'd agree with that yeah and then and then a a big point i'm looking at these bands and just thinking about where rock is right now and the bands that have been influenced by them i mean metallica has obviously influenced every metal every moderately accessible metal band out there that you hear i think of like you know avenge sevenfold was really big for a number of years and uh like the 2000s and stuff and i think they're very very clearly owe a lot to metallica um you guys dan and kcr episode last week was you guys talked about um, Point Fest. The two headliners of Point Fest, which is is a big um, radio rock show, Seether and Shinedown, entirely influenced by the grunge era and sounds like and those kind of yeah. sounds. You can, I mean, I mean, Sean Morgan, like practically, you could, especially earlier in their career, I'm pretty sure Sean Morgan wanted to be Kurt Cobain. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, even yeah. down to the ha- the dying his hair and all that stuff. Yeah, and so. Those all these bands, Ozzy, obviously the Chili Peppers influenced a number of bands that that we that we've you know appreciated a lot of those those you know bands that have funk and whatnot incorporated into them. So there's just so the bands themselves had a, mostly a lot of staying power, and then the like the ripple effect of their work has stuck for all these thirty years and then yeah. continues to influence bands. Yeah, I agree with that. Even even GNR, the big the big thing from GNR is that them their DNA as a band is you know uh, Stones and Aerosmith influence, mm-hmm. right? And so you could argue, well, if you're going to say that passed on, it's really just the Stones and and uh, and Aerosmith being passed on. But uh, what one thing that GNR did is they brought that forward for a whole generation who at that time very much looked at the Stones and Aerosmith as like, oh, your dad's you know that's your dad's rock you know what i mean yeah so they brought that to a newer thing but one thing that i hope comes back eventually at some point is that uh excess and grandeur 
that GNR mm -hmm. brought to things because right now with the state that the music industry is in, nobody's spending money on anything for a lot of different reasons, you know? Right. So I, I would imagine there's a, any number of bands that are like, yeah, we, we totally could do a video with a, a gas tanker and you know, all that, like, you know, but <laughs> no, nobody's going to spend that kind of money. So I feel like any influence as far as uh, the grandeur and, and, absurdity of yeah. rock that gnr could have is kind of in a state of arrested development because of the state of the industry you yeah. know but i think that someday like let me put it this way there was a point where no one was doing what bowie was doing and then somebody looked back eventually and was like oh we should you know let's kind of bring that back some and i feel yeah. like that will happen with them eventually too i think they'll have a, a longer staying power once the uh, music industry kind of gets itself under control some you know assuming it ever happens yeah <laughs> Nah. Yeah, I don't think it, Dan doesn't I don't, think it's I'm, happening. I don't think it's going to happen from now on. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. But you know, I'm going to sit and hope though. I'm all for some spectacle and some you know larger than life characters and and something that, in, not just in terms of sales but in terms of cultural impact, like makes rock music bigger. I mean, I I don't I don't buy it when people say anything on the you know like the rock is dead conversation or anything like that. But I also I also understand that the today's pop stars are not Axl Rose. Those are very, yeah. they're very different styles and yeah, different yeah. things going on. Yeah. Rock is definitely not dead because tool, tool proved that like two years ago, they released an album. They destroyed Taylor Swift <laughs> and everybody was like, who the hell is this tool? Yeah. And so like, there's no doubt that like, that's one. Whenever, study, certain, <laughs> whenever certain bands want to make, you know their their presence felt they do they can yeah they still have that power oh yeah there's there's a huge place i i just i just mean kind of referring to what to what uh russ is saying like just that grandeur and the yeah the being yeah. a must-see event kind of thing the, the, I'll, just, I'll tell you this as far as the rock is dead argument goes that that, that argument's been happening every five years since 1965 <laughs> yeah. right right you know, right. You know yeah. like if you look back now in 75 you had toys in the attic uh physical graffiti albums like that coming out in the year of 1975 uh, wish you were here by pink floyd and there were articles that year written about how rock and roll is dead it's like <laughs> wow. what you know so yeah, yeah if anybody tells you rock and roll is dead they uh they do not know what they're talking about or their argument's going to be outdated within the next 30 days obviously right right well gentlemen i think we've covered our bases pretty well here yeah there's there's a lot to say and we said a lot of it so good on us and again remember again talking about this year this was literally only six albums that we focused on here yeah. and yeah, yeah. In, in a two-month span and 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 one specific genre as well we've talked about a number of other of other artists i mentioned before we started that i was going to name drop a tribe called quest somewhere in here and so here it is the low end theory <laughs> came out right during this time as well and actually that's the same day as Nirvana and, and the Chili Peppers. You so. mentioned near the top that we just did uh, two episodes on 91. And the mm -hmm. reason why we did 91 is because what, why we did two episodes is because a couple of weeks before that, I said to them, you know, because uh, my co-hosts are younger. I think they're both like 10 years younger than me. And I said, you know, you guys might not realize what a, what a monster year that was. So let's do an episode on 91. They said, okay. So in doing the research for it, even I kept looking at the list of albums and I was having lived through it. Yeah. And I, and I texted them and I said, um, 
there's no way this is going to be one episode because we yeah. you know tried to cover all the the heavy hitters and it was like yeah, we're, right. there's no way we're going to get through this in one episode so the fact that we are the four of us got through just these gargantuan albums in this amount of time is a miracle to me yeah <laughs> you're not yeah. wrong well i mean we kind of skipped around with bad motor finger and stuff but yeah, yeah yeah so it's not even 44 days of music is, is it it still is. It's just not every week within the 44. It starts with black and ends with Nevermind. Well, and the Chili Peppers. And that 44 days? I don't know. I didn't count. I'm not 100% sure it's 44 days, to be honest. But we're not going to fact you're check not it. Gonna, okay, are you, not gonna, we, we might later. That, but, like the are you title, insinuating though, right? that we can't trust memes? Because that's where I get all my news. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I literally... We, I, I, I can also always just call the episode two months in 91 or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, yeah. Like... I will count the days to be sure that we're accurate because 44 days does sound cooler to me, but we can yeah. find a different title if we need to. We'll do math. It'll be fine. And if we're off by a minute, by a day or two on our estimate, it's, the point still stands pretty strongly. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometime in, in 91. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So guys, I think we have, have really covered our bases right here and Russ, we super appreciate having you in to help us cover those bases as, as a resident expert on the year 91. Now having spent multiple hours talking about it into a microphone in the last yeah, couple yeah. months, yeah. Um, where can people uh, find you and the infectious groove? Uh, the best source. If you like anything that I've had to say about the music, I, there's two <laughs> more folks just like me that do my show with me. It's Michelle and Kyle. And we all three have uh, wildly different perspectives on music. Uh, the best thing to do is go to infectiousgroovepodcast.com because on there, first of all, right at the top is every podcast player. So whatever podcast player you use, you can click on it and just uh, subscribe to the show right there. But underneath that, and this is for a smaller section of the audience, but if you're into vinyl records, we have a YouTube channel that is completely independent content of the podcast. And it's more focused on all vinyl records. And that's right underneath the podcast. So if you want to listen to the podcast there's a place to find that if you're more into vinyl records there's a place for that too and it's all at infectiousgroovepodcast.com i recommend looking up both of those if if for no other reason than then russ basically has a record store in his home it is <laughs> yeah it is laid out just like it. it's amazing that's true <laughs> that's true there's no way to be like oh no yep no that's exactly what i was going for and that's yeah. why <laughs> you I succeeded know. yeah it's 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 a mar it's a marvel and so you you gotta i recommend any listener go check that out if you guys are ever <laughs> if you guys are ever around detroit for any reason whatsoever hit me up we love to have people we've had people from as far away as brazil come up and spin records for us it's it's awesome that's amazing that's yeah. nice we'll do we'll have to talk after we hit stop on the recording here and we'll we'll get yeah. that sorted out <laughs> actually well, thank you very much for joining us we do appreciate it thank you very much for listening you have been listening to the itch podcast my name is dan I'm Casey. I'm Aaron. I'm Russ. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail and itchrocks.com, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. F you.